morning, everyone, or good afternoon, or good evening. Whatever the case may be on this rotating globe, welcome to another edition live tonight. Welcome to another edition of The Other Side of Midnight, that magical time between dusk and dawn where, well, almost anything can happen. Tonight, we have an extraordinary show um, that is all built around this incredibly current mystery of the balloons or the objects or using the parlance of the Pentagon and the White House, the UFOs. I mean, it's interesting the way, you know, the conversation politically, they tried to reframe the conversation and get rid of decades of history, like almost a century of history of UFOs, unidentified flying objects. And ultimately, when the you-know-what hits the you-know-what, they come back to that old terminology. Now, one of our panelists tonight has a small nitpick because she believes, and I think it's with some reasonable physics basis, that maybe we're not dealing with objects at all. And she's going to describe, you know, what she thinks uh, by that. And this afternoon, we got a little bit of evidence in favor of her model, which I must say is not uh, the run-of-the-mill. None of our panelists as we have on the show are run-of-the-mill. They are each uh, kind of superstars in their own field, and they've been at this conversation, at these investigations for a very long time, and they bring an extraordinary uh, panoply of unique talents and background and expertise. So let me get started. Um, I wanted to start tonight with the current update on the Turkey and Syrian earthquake. The death toll has now passed 46 thousand in Syria and Turkey, with most of the reported deaths, something like 40,000 plus in Turkey and a little over 5,000 so far in Syria. And of course, those are provisional numbers. Um, they haven't begun to dig through all this rubble because it's literally thousands of square miles that was affected by two back-to-back -back earthquakes, a 7.8 and a 7.4 and those are in the range of nuclear weapons buried underground in terms of shocks and, you know, tremors and things collapsing and fragile architecture just falling down and building codes being what they are or what they are not, etc. So the, this is a horrendous death toll. But that is not why I've actually put this as our number one item, because as tragic as it is, there's nothing at the moment that any of us can do except... Uh, give as much help to the um, rescue facilities and the Red Cross and the uh, Catholic Charities and all of those established institutions which are trying against significant political headwinds, particularly there in uh, northern Syria, to get aid to these incredibly uh, desperate people. I mean, for the 46,000 who have died, there are hundreds of thousands, if not millions, who are displaced, who have no homes now, that are basically living in, in um, you know, refugee tents and centers and they, they, you know, it's the living who desperately need the help. So anything you can do, I would strongly recommend that you uh, uh, contact through the Internet the appropriate agencies and, 
give whatever you can. Money is fungible. Sending goods, sending canned goods, sending clothing, etc. That's really it clogs the system because you, they need the funds, which are you know fungible, meaning they can be spent in a variety of needs, and they know what they need, and so the money is the most effective way of helping in these extraordinary crises. Um, the reason that I wanted to mention this, in addition to the obvious humanitarian crisis, is because it's now 12 days past the earthquake. That's something like 288 hours. And it is said, and you can easily search or Google this, that the window, the magic window, uh, remember they say in an accident the golden hour is an hour? Well, in an earthquake, the golden period is about the first day. If there are people trapped in pockets under, you know, leaning concrete and all that, where there's air and they were not crushed, whatever, you need to reach them in that first 24 hours, give or take, or else the probability of people surviving because of dehydration, because of cold, because of, uh, uh, you know, the environmental conditions. They're totally in the dark. They probably can't hear anything. They don't know if there's anybody else alive. And sometimes they don't know whether they're alive. And if they're in intact form, in other words, if some limb has not been crushed by parts of the building, their nominal lifespan buried in that kind of rubble is about a day to two days, 24 to 48 hours. It is now 12 days, 288 hours and counting, and the rescuers are still finding and pulling out people who are alive. Not only are they alive, but they're in extraordinarily good condition. Now, some they pulled out are part of family groups, some who died because of injuries and others who were surviving. But they brought out a baby, I think, this morning and reunited uh, her with her, her, her surviving uh, family because her father and mother were, were killed in the, in the uh, earthquake. But she somehow survived, and 12 days later, she's alive, she's healthy, and they basically reunited her with extended family. This is extraordinary. This should not be happening. This ranks up there with miracles. Or, in the parlance of this show and our research, is this not possibly due to the fact that the background physics, the hyperdimensional physics, which modulates everything in our reality, according to the work that we have done, our research, the models, the papers, etc. Is it possible that the focus of so many people from all over the world on these survivors is literally doing something to change their metabolism in a way that has allowed them to survive. Now, you know that there's going to be nobody in the mainstream that's going to take this seriously. There aren't going to be any tests done. There'll be cursory, you know, examinations. Who knows where those records will go? But if there's some researcher out there that would like to systematically look into this because we're now so far past that magic window of a day or two that it it bears extraordinary attention 
and extraordinary research because either it's that we're looking at a moving terrestrial consciousness miracle or the change of the background physics has so changed these people's metabolisms that they in fact are able to survive far longer than the standard medical journals and the standard texts and the rescue manuals and all that would have us believe. There is something extraordinary besides this catastrophic, horrible tragedy of almost 50,000 dead that is ongoing right before our eyes. And I'm hoping we can put this on the record so someone somewhere when things kind of settle down and people can look at longer-term research, someone begins to dig into this because we're approaching 300 hours and there still are people alive. This, according to everything we think we know and all the manuals and all the documented history, this should not be happening. And yet it is. And not just one or two cases, but dozens and dozens of people over the last week have been pulled out. More than dozens. I've lost count. It is literally a scientific miracle, and it deserves to be researched. Item number two. Many, many years ago, when the show was just starting, uh, remember um, uh, President Carter uh, publicly announced that he had discovered that he had this incredibly, awfully fatal brain cancer of an incredibly rapid and vericiously, you know, catastrophic type. And then everybody started paying attention, including this show. And we did a couple of uh, consciousness experiments. That's back when we were on Arts Network and we had a much larger audience at that time, given arts background and expertise and visibility. And things changed. Now, of course, the doctor said, oh, it's the new medication. It's a experimental drug. I forget what the name of the drug was. But he's now 98 And it was announced this evening that uh, after several short trips to the hospital um, this this week, uh, certainly in the last 24 to 48 hours, he has decided to return home and be placed under hospice care because apparently the um, prognosis for Jimmy Carter's longevity is not very good. But again, if you hold him in your thoughts given the extraordinary events documented worldwide going on in Turkey, is it time to say goodbye to Jimmy Carter? Maybe not. Maybe all it takes is enough people focusing, like people are focusing on Turkey, to change what most people would think to be the implacable laws of medicine and physics. Maybe with these examples... They're not as implacable as one might think. Now, in that vein, uh, when I bring on one of our guests this morning, David Sarita, we're going to have a conversation about the physics because David has noted something very interesting about the kind of backdrop to all the events that are occurring in this time frame. And I'll give you a clue. It has to do with the physics and something that the mainstream has measured has had lots and lots of uh, uh, media coverage of, and no one in the mainstream seems to understand what it might portend. 
Well, David and I might have a clue, and we're going to be talking about that in connection with this bizarre sequence of balloon and uh, UFO events, which have captivated everybody from coast to coast and all around the world. So, speaking of which, what I've done tonight is I've assembled a kind of a panoply of news stories over the last couple of weeks. Uh, items three and four, five, six, and seven, and eight. And let me see if there's a nine. Uh, okay, nine is nine is there, but it's not totally relevant just yet. So if you want to kind of catch up, if you've been, you know, having a picnic under a rock somewhere in the last two weeks and have no idea what we're talking about, um, it began with the uh, appearance over Montana of a 200-foot-tall, 2,000-pound uh, payload Chinese balloon, which was identified very quickly from uh, close-up U-2 passages at the 60,000-foot altitude of the balloon as it sailed across the country uh, to be a Chinese spy balloon, complete with solar panels and antennas and something like 2,000 pounds of structure and electronics. In other words, in the parlance of the time, it was something loaded for bear. And it drifted all across the country. The president and the uh, uh, U.S. military decided for a variety of reasons, not the least of which is if you shot it down over land, uh, something that weighs, you know, 2,000 pounds and is relatively fragile, as it's falling from 60,000 feet, it will not stay as one object. It will fragment and you will have thousands of pieces, any one of which falling out of the sky on someone or someone's property could do personal damage, could start fires, could collapse buildings. So you could have a range of catastrophes on the ground if you shot it down, even in an area which is relatively isolated and sparsely inhabited, because these things do not fall straight down in one little tiny heap. They fragment, and the fragments then are blown by the winds over a very large area, which can encompass tens or even hundreds of square miles. Um, and so the prudence was to wait until the balloon went offshore, and then uh, the U.S. Navy uh, took it down with an F-22 and a Sidewinder missile, and then they collected all the pieces from about uh, seven miles offshore in around 50 feet of water, and they've now been analyzing it assiduously at the FBI labs at Quantico and uh, many of the other high-tech labs that the federal government maintains in other agencies, and they have been kind of leaking out various details of what the balloon um, told them when they could literally pick up and begin to look at closely the pieces. But as you'll see from going through all those news stories, just a few days later over Alaska, over a very picturesque place called Dead Horse, Alaska, I saw one mainstream reporter who said, um, uh, she worked for the New York Times, her name is Helen Cooper, and she's a defense reporter. And she said, I'm desperately trying to get my editor to send me to Alaska so I can, you know, file a story marked Dead Horse, Alaska. Anyway, it's near Prudhoe Bay where the oil well drilling and all the environmental controversy has been going on for many decades. And the U.S. Uh, Air Force, uh, again with another F-22, 
shot down a small object. The officials did not call it a balloon. They called these things literally, both at the Pentagon and even at the White House for a while, unidentified flying objects. And like a few days after the spy balloon off the East Coast, off Prudhoe Bay, they shot down something called an object, not a balloon, with another high-tech aircraft and a very high-tech expensive missile. And then a day later, over the Yukon in uh, Canada, um, Sergeant Preston and Yukon King, they shot down another object, very similar. And then a day later, at a much lower altitude of 20,000 feet, as opposed to 40,000 for these two previous objects, again, not termed officially balloons, even though they kind of floated and hung in midair and did not do anything. Um, they shot down a third object at around 20,000 feet, and that making a total of four shoot-downs in eight days, and everybody around the world went nuts. And the bulk of our program this morning is going to be about what is really going on, because for the first time in peacetime, and this is on the record, we, the U.S. military, aggressively shot down a balloon over the territorial United States. Never happened. Never happened during World War II with the Japanese balloons that were sent over to start fires. Never happened during the Korean War. Didn't happen during the Cold War. Didn't happen during uh, any of the, uh, you know, Vietnam or Korea. Or, in other words, nothing has ever happened before like this. And in peacetime, within the space of slightly over a week, we've now shot down four objects, three of which are totally, even as of tonight, not identified. And it looks like that we're not going to, because in the last item I have, which is number eight, um, the U.S. government has decided whether there be balloons or UFOs, they have called off the search for the remains, the debris of these last three objects, these last three unknowns, these last three very mysterious objects. And it's bizarre that our official posture has been up until, you know, a couple of days ago. Now, apparently, it's been being reassessed that we shoot first and ask questions later. So, given that nothing about this makes sense, the cover stories, the bringing of a UFO interagency group into the White House finally from the Pentagon to decide what the policy will be, because one of the theories is that uh, the Alaska, I'm sorry, the Yukon balloon was really a balloon. It was launched by a uh, Illinois hobby club that basically lofts small balloons to do research uh, with ham radio and GPS and all that, and it cost them between 12 bucks and 50 bucks to send the balloon up. And so the Air Force spent $400,000 and a uh, Sidewinder missile to shoot it down. Well, anybody who knows anything about this realizes that the cost-benefit ratio of half a million bucks to shoot down something worth 50 really isn't very useful or efficacious or um, it's going to go on for very long.
which opens up all other kinds of questions which we're going to deal with as we proceed through the morning. So we're now about uh, five minutes to the bottom of the hour. Let me introduce and give by way of background um, our, our first guest, who is going to be Robert Stanley. Robert Stanley has been a guest on the other side of midnight many times. He's the author of two groundbreaking books, Close Encounters on Capitol Hill, dealing with UFOs photographed and seen over the U.S. Capitol, and Covert Encounters in Washington, D.C., which is an extension of more data and more evidence compiled by his, you know, at least 10 years, if not more, of research. His passionate pursuits of both modern and ancient mysteries has what has impelled Robert to travel to something like 58 countries in 50-plus years. His quest for unique ideas and information have led him to research and write about many controversial topics. His ongoing investigations have been featured on network television, radio, print, on the Internet, and he was the editor of the Unicus magazine. Uh, there's more of his bio there on the other side of midnight. But before the break, I want him to say a few words because, frankly, the last time the mainstream paid any attention to UFOs over Washington was during the famous flyover uh, in the week of July 20th back in 1952. And as your two books have documented, this has been going on consistently all the way up to the present. So the official posture by the Pentagon that, oh, we didn't know there was a lot of unknown aerial stuff up there until we changed the radar filters is frankly, in my opinion, a bunch of crap. Robert, welcome to the other side. Always a pleasure. Yeah, uh, in 1952, President Truman issued a shoot on sight order uh, because they were not just... <laughs> Coming into the controlled airspace of Washington, D.C., they were actually um, surveilling a lot of the military bases on the east, uh, eastern seaboard, which um, uh, and also the mil just like we have with the Tic Tac videos uh, off San, San Diego, the Navy was being encountered, you know, recently, um, relatively recently, those, those things back in the 52 the uh, a carrier fleet was actually being surveilled for days hmm. out in the Atlantic. They didn't fire on them then, at least not officially. I don't. Uh, maybe they did, but they, that's not part of the historic record. Um, it's very, very controversial it, that they would actually fire on anything that's over Washington D.C. because of the collateral damage, as you described with the Chinese balloon. Uh, the other thing is. Allegedly, something was shot down. It was more like a drone in 52. And that um, the, the wreckage or the material was sent up to, I think his name was Wilbert Smith up in Canada. Right. He was the magnet guy. Yeah. So, and there was exotic qualities to the metal or the fragments. Because apparently they didn't get the whole drone. They only knocked pieces of it off. These, these objects... And obviously, they're, they're more than one shape, one more than one style. Now, when you um, say drone, you're not talking about like a quadcopter from now. You're talking no, about no, 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 some remotely I mean, piloted object that looked kind of saucer-shaped but operated small. completely differently. Yeah, a small, and it's small like a drone, hmm. I guess is what I meant to say. Uh, and I mean, it was too small to be piloted 
So right. it had to be a drone of some kind. Computer Obviously, control. What? Computer controlled. Yes. Yes, or possibly artificial intelligence. I don't know. That would be uh -huh. a computer, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. That's kind of a little more advanced than just a standard remote control, if that's what we're talking about. Because th that's one of the, the common themes I find about these objects is that they tend to behave as though they are intelligent or intelligently controlled. But a lot of times they're performing maneuvers or they're simply too small. Well, have you heard have of occupants. the concept of Waldo's? Does that ring a bell with you? No. Waldo's was a term invented by Robert Heinlein of a remotely operated technology that was basically somehow hooked into a human nervous system. So it became an extension of a human, but it was really robotic with nobody living inside, but it was remotely controlled by human consciousness. So we could be looking at something like that, except as opposed to human consciousness. Yeah, some an sort alien, of interface. An alien yeah, interface, did, yeah. Yeah, they did a movie about that. I think uh, it was uh, Clint Eastwood, The Firefox. Oh, yeah, Foxfire. yeah, yeah. Yeah, so um, sure, the, anything's possible. The point is, though, that, that we were already shooting at them back as far back as 52, and I really shouldn't be laughing about it other than the fact that um, it makes, I just, Yeah, but know. back in 52, we knew nothing. We were dumb you-know-whats. I thought that order had been countermanded at some point between 52 and 2022. Well, I'm sure it was because it was only for, you know, at the time, because the way Daryl Sims described it to me, because he had worked in, um, let's see, a MP prior to becoming a CIA MP. operative. Um, he, he claims the people he talked to said that they thought Washington, D.C. was being invaded. And they did have anti-aircraft guns that were on the back of uh, carryalls that were scooting around Washington, D.C. And, and there were jets scrambled multiple times. We know that from the historic record. Um, well, there's a very famous movie called Earth and the Flying Saucers where yeah, all know, of this played out, including the anti-aircraft in the back of trucks looking yeah. kind of like, you know, yeah, something yeah, yeah. out but, of the... I mean, that's, that's art imitating life. And... and it wasn't. That's what I mean. That's yeah, where they got their ideas from, right? It, what, but it, see, okay, the other, the, the what, everything that I've researched about this from the historical records are, people were not panicking. The military apparently was very upset. I mean, I think rightfully so, um, that they couldn't control the airspace and that these things would pop in and out. Um, well, they played cat and mouse with the uh, fighters. In 52, the, they would yeah. launch from Alexandria or Arlington. They would right. rush upstairs. The UFOs would disappear. They would right. land, and the UFOs would come back. It was like, ha, 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 you can't catch us. Well, it also lends me to think that uh, they didn't want to directly engage. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, we're not on a— uh, Wait, wait, you, you mean the, them or us? The, well, they— The them. The, yeah, the them did. They didn't feel like engaging with us because they obviously could have. However, there was one case, and this is in my second book. I, I found after many years of research, as you'd mentioned, um, and I think it was William Burns actually that brought this to light. There was a guy named Black Jack McGregor or Magruder or something like that. Anyway, he was he was a very well decorated pilot, 
and uh, he was called to the Pentagon during one of these UFO events. And they watched on the radar as, as the jets went up and disappeared off the radar and were never recovered. Mm. I'll tell you what, we're at the bottom of the hour. My guest this morning is Robert Stanley to lead off. We've got Steve Bassett on the line, David Sarita, Barbara Honiger. And are we going to have what they used to call a lively conversation? Because nobody, and I'll be obviously challenged on that, but I would swear that nobody really knows what's really going on. But we have some really good theorists and really good external data. And so we're going to take a shot. Here on the other side of midnight, you recognize the background music, I presume. This is from Robert Wise, infamously, incredibly interesting UFO video slash film from the 1950s, The Day the Earth Stood Still, when a UFO landed on the mall in Washington and Klaatu emerged. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. And welcome back, everyone, to the other side of midnight for this Saturday, February 18th, 2023. So let's go back to Robert Stanley. Robert, you've documented now that... I'm sorry, what? I'm talking to Robert on the air. And you've documented, Robert, that since 1952, since this extraordinary public discussion... Yeah, and and if you could put up my one item, I'd appreciate (laughs) it. Wait, 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 wait. Guys, guys, you're, you're talking on the air. Barbara? Send him an email. Send him Skype message. Do not talk on the air. Thank you. Robert, are you with us? Yes. There you are. Okay. Yes. 
This is what happens when you have live shows and you have last-minute <laughs> developments. Anyway, nothing really occurred in the public venue. Maybe you know something behind the scenes. Uh, until relatively recently, and none of that uh, over Washington really has been covered until you did these two extraordinary books. Okay. Uh, if you're talking about the mainstream media? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 2002, the reason Fox News, and I think it was the Washington Post picked it up, is because NPR was reporting it. People were calling into the various radio stations at like 3 o'clock in the morning. Jets were chasing uh, – military jets were scrambling and were chasing these spherical objects. Yes, they're spherical, but uh, they don't move like balloons. They are self-illuminated and um, clearly have an advanced form of propulsion, probably a field propulsion system that's extremely uh, powerful and uh, highly maneuverable. So uh, people looked up. They woke up. They looked up. They saw this, um, and uh, that's that's the only thing. Now this was, I think, like ten days after Mr. Allen Wilbur Allen took pictures at the U.S. Capitol building of these same spherical objects, um, <laughs> apparently. They they swarmed the Capitol and one of them landed on the roof, according to the pictures. Now, what year was this? Because we're a long that way was from fifty. July sixteen two thousand and two. So it's it's basically yesterday compared to fifty two. Um, yeah, it was. Yeah, it was fifty. Uh, yes, it was the fifty year anniversary. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. And, and yeah, but it's not like okay. Based on the years of research I did, there was there was hundreds of cases in between that were very. Um, uh, relatively innocuous. In other words, it wasn't no, nothing was no uh, military was scrambled and there was no panic, and the media didn't really pick up it. It was just individuals. I mean, some of them were very credible too, by the way, like police officers and pilots and stuff like that, uh, just making casual reports because nothing extraordinary happened other than people noticed that these objects were in controlled airspace doing things that conventional aircraft uh, simply don't do. And, well, wait, um, would, would, would most people, most civilians even in Washington know about controlled airspace? In other words, they look up, you know, there's two major airports, Reagan yes. and uh, Baltimore, and they see aircraft lights and blinking strobes and all that overhead yeah. all the time. Then right. there's Then there's Andrews. So it's not like they look up and Something's going on that they are not familiar with. It just looks like noise. So it never rose to the level of mainstream press attention until. Right, until 2002. But in 1952, it wasn't just July. It was also August. And they, so what they described it was as a meteor passing over Washington, D.C., <laughs> kind of uh, leisurely lame, passing overhead lame, towards Virginia. Ah. But back yeah. in those so, days, people didn't know astronomy, didn't know space science. They had no idea. Yeah, no. You know, so, you know, almost anything. I mean, I caught the Air Force in an extraordinary lie when I was a, just a kid at the museum in Springfield. And that's what got me interested for a while into the whole UFO thing because they were so blatantly absurd in their, quote, explanation. It's like, yeah. did they hire anybody that knew anything? No, because they figured the general public is so damn dumb they didn't even have to spend the money on someone who had some kind of a background in astronomy. They were claiming that what was seen and chasing jets and all that was 
Orion. <laughs> oh, it wasn't Venus? Oh, no, no, no. Okay. It was Orion. And Orion, by the time, by the way, was on the opposite side of the planet, which is when I said, are these people for real? Yeah, that's... Well, it, but Orion see, it has to do with their opposition. Given yeah. that they feel that their audience are dumber than dirt, they don't even try to come out with any real serious explanation that will fool experts because they probably bought all the experts and those that they haven't bought, they don't give a damn. Yeah. Well, I got to tell you, as someone who has actually encountered these crafts more than once, day, day and night, mostly at night, but I can remember one of the times when I was living in Santa Monica and I was walking to the pharmacy, whatever, I, whatever the oh, save on, I believe is what they used to call it. And I looked up and there was this round, red, spherical, silent object over Santa Monica, uh, passing over the Savon Pharmacy, and nobody was paying attention to it except me. And I felt like, I felt like I was in an episode of the Twilight Zone, to tell you the <laughs> truth, because it wasn't the first time. And I almost wanted to start yelling at people, "Hey, look, look up!" You know, but I figured that they might think I'm insane, and I really didn't. I mean the. It's so weird, the peer pressure, the way that the psychological warfare aspect of this has been um, perpetrated. It's just – it's just uh, – so in 52, things were obviously a little bit different, but people really didn't understand the severity, and the military didn't want to explain it, and the media was complicit, as they still are in large part, I think, with the Pentagon. Well, under those conditions, it's surprising we know almost anything. Yeah. So, okay. So the, one of the close encounters I had in Rhode Island, um, was extraordinary in the sense that I, the reason I even noticed the craft or the spherical object was that there was a, an aircraft taking off from TF Green airport. And it was so loud and so low. I thought it was going to crash on takeoff. So I'm looking at this thing going, what, what is going on? And that's when I noticed a light up in the sky, which I thought was a Venus. Mm -hmm. However, at the the aircraft, the passenger craft continued on taking off, and it and it left. And as now I'm looking at the light and realizing it's it's moving also. So I ran into the house. Was it and trailing I got my the aircraft? Camera and I took pictures of it, and I realized because at that point now it was more over directly over the uh, the backyard of the house. And um, I was a little frightened, actually. I, the, my reason I'm telling you this is because I obviously don't know what it was other than the fact it looked like so many of the other things I've seen, which is spherical, uh, self-luminous, radiant light, and um, able to do things like literally just shoot off or completely disappear from sight in a, like a blink of an eye. It, it, it's, it, and it's very um, disorienting. And, when you, and get, you say this was Rhode Island? Yeah. Yeah, what, it was, remember what year? It was when I first came out with this. When the, the second book first came out, and I was actually Richard. I, speaking of Orion's Belt, that the the night before I was doing a show, just like we're doing a show now. And afterwards, I walked out with Charlie, and to let him do his business. And I'm looking up at the sky, and there's Orion's Belt, and I'm literally screaming at them, going, "Are you guys insane? Why do you think that I could possibly?" Uh, uh, you know, report this and make a difference. It's not working. You know, basically, I was telling them to screw themselves and um, <laughs> leave me alone. 
I'm not kidding. So you didn't focus and say, okay, what do you want to say? Well, well, I'm just saying mentally I was projecting towards Orion's belt. I I didn't expect anybody to be listening. Oh, so you did this just kind of like a matter of course, and then you look in another part of the sky and there's mm, something. No, no, no. That was at night. That was so 12 hours later. I'm back out in the same part of the yard with the dog. Now it's daytime. Okay. Right. And I, I, and that's when the, and then after the thing, I took the pictures and it just vanished. I realized, oh my God, uh, somebody must have heard me last night. And that was their way of saying, yeah, well, we're watching, <laughs> we're still watching you. So, you know, take it for what it's worth, Richard. This is a very weird one-sided kind of a conversation with, I mean, it's not even a conversation. I, I feel violated on some level and that's why I even got into this investigation stuff and reporting it because I was one of their uh, specimens, I guess. I don't know how else to say they, they were studying me. I felt like they were studying me. They, I, they proved that they could read my mind, which freaked that, me out. Like, I mean, seriously, freaked me out for quite a while. Um, so, and, um, so you take Charlie out yeah. after you do this show for his evening business. You're looking at Orion <laughs> and just in general, you express your frustration. Like I was really upset. Yeah. Okay. All right. Because you just got a yeah. show and you went through some stuff and all that. Well, then, no, it's a, here, look, we're still talking about this, Richard. And it's my level of frustration is that I've documented it. I, I've, I've reported it everywhere I can. And, and uh, the, I don't feel like I'm moving the ball down the field at all. I'm sorry. Yeah, but like you Charlie won't, Brown, uh, you, 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 and, you yeah. won't until it all breaks. I know. This is not going to be gradual. It's going to be sudden, shatteringly, day and night. Yes, you're right. It's a gradual thing. And then we hit the tipping point like, oh, that was easy. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, look at how long I've been talking about ET ruins in the solar system and nobody gives a damn. Except, 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 well, that was three, four stages of discovery or something. I forget who said that. The, the mm. South Korean government has now given us stunning new data, which we're going to talk about tomorrow night when we talk about the Chinese and the moon. Mm-hmm. And I can now track. I know exactly when the breakthrough is going to come, what this show and I have to do personally to tip it over the edge of the cliff so that everybody goes, oh, my God. And mm-hmm. I, I can see the end of this relay race in sight. So my frustration is, and I think this whole weekend of shooting down objects is part of building toward something, given what the South Korean government has done, but not said a word about. Not a word. I know what you're saying. The final straw that breaks the camel's back is going to, it's coming. It's a matter of time. I, I know. Anyway. I'm not. I'm not terribly upset anymore. But at the time, but you went out much, there and you kind of broadcast your frustration. Yeah, Twelve yeah, yeah, hours yeah, was, later, yeah. you you get somebody hours, showing up. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. Uh, <laughs> I know that they can be around us and we can't see them unless They're they somehow, want us they to. They have an optical stealth. Uh, somebody said, uh, you know, they're out of phase or whatever it is. They've proven that they can do that. And we don't always see them. So I kind of knew already that they might have been watching, but that was confirmation. And I believe it was their way of saying, um, you know, uh, we're not done with you yet. Mm. (laughs) 
for whatever reason, Richard, and I don't, I have no clue. Like you were saying, we don't know. We don't, how could we know unless we have a conversation with them, whoever they are, how would we know? And even then I'd want to verify if they started telling us stuff. I'm like, well, could you please give me some, uh, could you please validate what you're just said or showed us? It may be more than one day. In fact, I'm almost certain it's more than one day. Of course it is. And it could be something as dumb as tourists. (laughs) <laughs> Remember. Well, I'm sure there's some of that going on. But look, you and I have talked about it and other people know, too, that there's there's some sort of civil war, family feud, cosmic conflict, whatever you want to call it. And that seems to be the part of the bigger problem that there is a serious conflict going on between these different factions, at least two. Um, I know Linda Moulton Howe was told that it was actually three. And it's, it's ancient. This is an ancient conflict that's going on. And we seem to be caught up in it. Well, we're involved because remember, my my main model is family. We're not dealing with aliens, we're dealing with family. And the worst feuds are within families. I mean, look at the Hatfields and McCoys, to use another cliche. So if we're in the middle of a family dispute, if in fact Charles Fort was right when he said, we are property, maybe somebody's arguing over who owns the genetic code to the human species. Well, that's how kingdoms work. Yeah, their subjects to the crown are considered property of the crown. Mm. Uh, right. So, yes, I my understanding, that's how it is. Kingship is <laughs> extends off the world. And uh, I think Jupiter Ascending basically showed us that in a fictional form. I haven't but seen like, it yet. I, you still haven't seen that. Oh, my God. <laughs> I know. You You and Ron that's, are so frustrated. Uh, so <laughs> It's fine. It's fine. But, it, it, okay, once again, art imitating life, I believe – and this is the really frustrating part, aside from Washington, D.C., the entire subject of extraterrestrial aliens, interdimensionals, whatever, is so nebulous, it's like trying to nail jello to the wall. But, and, but, but yeah. I would argue from December 2017 to tonight, mm-hmm. we are in a totally different yes. political and media regime than any yep. time since World War II. And that because of what happened over the last two weeks, and we're mm. actively shooting down unknowns, where we really haven't a clue what we're shooting at, and no less than the president admits, well, we really don't know what they are, but the most likely, in other words, you'd expect that the hierarchy would have some knowledge it would you know, share with its citizens per the yeah. Constitution. No, we're, we're cannon fodder, we're chattel, yeah. we're... You know, consumers, we're not, we're not, we, we, they don't think we're deserving of an answer which would make somebody satisfied. So they're given us this potpourri of nonsense. Nonsense. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because, know. you know, we, we don't need to know according to their, from but, their perspective. But see, that, that was then, this is now. This is I, not no, going, this is not going to go away. Even if they think we're dumber than dirt, no, we're not. <laughs> and we have something called the internet. And we yeah. have smartphones and we have social media and there's shows like this and there's data, actual firm data in the solar system to show to any expert observer, good God, we're not alone. And against that context, there's something else going on. And it's right. something else I want to grapple with tonight with, you know, my 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 kind of like the creme de la creme of the folks that I talk to who look at this and are immersed in this and have examined this 
to a much higher degree by a factor of thousands than the average person has time to. So talk yeah. about what is on the screen. Talk about your items of things seen and photographed recently over Washington, D.C., because I think that's the next step in this if it's part of an ascending scale of disclosure where basically in, in human parlance, when you shoot at something, it means it's probably an enemy. So are we being conditioned yep. that when we make contact, it's going to be an enemy? Well, that's what – what does he say? Um, when you're a carpenter, everything looks like a nail? Yep, yep. Okay, so the Pentagon is looking for that in order to justify their existence and their expenditures, clearly. And um, it some like also when Truman issued that shoot on side order, you're right. Somebody recommended to him, this is really not a good idea. You could start something – that we can't finish. Well, it's the famous Jim Croce song. Oh, I should have had that racked up. I should play it tonight. Remember the yeah. remember the song? Don't tug Which on one? Superman's cape. Oh, right. <laughs> Don't spit into the wind. Don't yeah, pull exactly. the mask of the old Lone Ranger. And I forget the rest of it. And for the military... Don't mess around with Jim. Yeah, don't yeah. mess around with... For the them ATs. to be shooting at objects without knowing who they are, what they are against the backdrop remember this is against yeah. the backdrop of the new york times stories of the nimitz and the roosevelt and the encounters yeah. with obvious incredibly high-tech anti-gravity super civilization spacecraft to be shooting things that you don't know what they are is dumb well yeah, unless advanced, unless hostile and they want to defend themselves unless they have unless they have in the past yeah it's all. So here's the hang on, hang on, I Robert, mean, Robert, a, Robert, hang on, hang on. What? Unless it's all kabuki theater, it could be, That's and it's all gonna... against the backdrop of disclosure in a way that makes us feel afraid, very afraid, and give the Pentagon control of contact. And more money. It's and not the money. Weapons. It's the contact. Remember, it's all about how we interpret who's out there and what their objectives are. Yeah, well, the Tic Tacs are ours, but that's the that's the covert world. That's the real black budget stuff. The secret space program. The the un, yeah right un right unidentified not identified sorry special access programs yeah um, unacknowledged special access and so and a lot of that's built by private contractors. So part of this problem we may be seeing right now is something that our friend who's unfortunately passed, Bob Dean said there's a, a conflict going on between these intelligence agencies some of them want to disclose and i guess that would mean including the advanced technologies and material and stuff that we've acquired and there's the other side that says no you can't do that we're not going to allow it so there that may it, there could be an internal uh struggle that's going on behind the scenes um and one side chose to break the log jam by shooting at ufos and then calling them ufos that that's possible it, it may be but we're not going to know this probably for quite some time and even then like i said you have to question everything when it comes to this, this subject is just one of the most craziest things i've ever come across and i'm sure other people that's why a lot of people just turn their heads and say i don't want to don't even bother me with that because it doesn't uh it, it doesn't really change the course of their lives or the quality of it and and there's just no way that you can confirm 
a lot of this these reports as many as many years as I've been trying. Uh, again, part of the big problem here is that the whoever they are, they're not talking to us directly in a uh, official capacity at all. It's all this this you know not, weird stuff that comes out. Some guy out in the middle of the outback is picked up out of his whatever and take it to another world. Then he's got to write a book and you're like, <laughs> well, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It's entertainment, but no way to verify this. Well, but what it did, a la Brookings, remember the famous Brookings report, yep. which yep. basically said in order for people not to freak out, there has to be a generation or more of a culturization. People have yeah. to get used to the idea. So when it finally breaks, they'll go, oh, what's Kim Kardashian wearing tonight? In other words, yep. total boredom. And I knew it all along as a reaction, as opposed to cats and dogs living together, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, if yeah. that's the long-term strategy, I think the curve has taken a dramatic inflection, and I'm not sure why. Well, it is social engineering. Bob Dean did mention that as well to me, if not other people. He did say that that within the schism within the intelligence community, whoever's really running the show behind the scenes, is that we did need to be gradually uh, acclimated mm -hmm. to the so-called alien presence, even though, like you said, they're not alien. They're not foreign. They're extended family. Well, some might be. We well, okay, fine, whatever. But the, I, I think it's easier if we just put that on the table so people realize that a lot of these things like unidentified flying object is – <laughs> they know damn well what these things are or are not. They do have identities. Well, it's so interesting is that after the balloon, after the spy balloon, which was a Chinese yeah. balloon, yeah, we shoot down three other mysterious objects in rapid succession. And instead <laughs> yeah, right. of the go-to explanation, oh, it's China, it's more spying, it's more balloons, the NORAD people, the Air Force people, the Pentagon people, and then the White House people went out <laughs> yeah. of their way to keep calling them unidentified flying objects like they wanted to put everybody's headspace into aliens, ETs. Yeah, but, but they've been using the UFO as a designation to hide the, their own technology for decades. Yeah, but that's irrelevant. Uh, that. For most people who don't know that we really can't control gravity, I mean, if we could, why are we sending up rockets in the shuttle and all that nonsense? Yeah, yeah. They can't think of this multi-leveled inside secret information, except maybe a guy named Trump at Mar-a-Lago with all those secret files. What is he? Why did he take <laughs> secrets? I think he took those secret files so he had a Trump card, <clears throat> pun intended, yeah. for Good his one. own purposes. That's a whole other conversation. The point is the general public, when you say UFOs, they think spaceship. Right. They or do aliens, not think right. secret that, technology. They think, well, I think it's against design because <laughs> everyone's trying to, you know, talk about Iran or, or China or Russia in terms of the Tic Tacs. They don't want people yeah. to think extraterrestrials. But this week, Biden set up an office in the White House, brought it right. into the White House gave a very, very, I mean, pathetically uninteresting, banal, and kind of stupid press conference where all he did was reiterate what was already in the public media, except we've got a new idea. This could be private, you know, researchers or corporations. And 
isn't the government on the hook if they shoot down a piece of private property? Aren't they yeah, liable? And, and and like you said, collateral damage on the ground. And but the, okay, so look, they'd they'd rather have that on their head than to admit that they can't really control air uh, airspace over America um, from things that are. But that's not what this rolling this disclosure since twenty seventeen. Yeah. With the UAP and the Elizondo and the office. Yeah, yeah. Japan, all it's been building toward people. Now we have congressional hearings. That was in what, May of last year, the year before. Yeah. And then now uh, annual reports. So it's not like this is not part of mainstream conversation. I mean, Helen Cooper, who was this really bright gal who covers the Pentagon, I saw her a year or so ago on a uh, uh, network television show, and she was adamantly crusading to be the reporter on the UFO story mm -hmm. when it broke. So it's not like it's all not being watched, and behind the scenes, they're not having the same conversation we're having on the air tonight, because nobody, I think, is really buying the idea that the Pentagon would spend millions of dollars shooting down toy balloons. Right. No, no, of course not. But at the same time, uh, my understanding is that their weapon systems are ineffective against real advanced aerospace. Unless the craft. real advanced aircraft want to be shot at. <laughs> That's okay. But well, think of how you would down. how you would manage disclosure if you're them, and a yeah, warlike okay. culture is imprisoned, and you somehow have to break through. Yeah, have you, have you ever, ever, have you ever yeah, seen two point. dogs and we're running up at the top of the hour? I'll finish with yeah. this and then we'll come back. Have you ever seen two dogs meet each other in a parking lot? Very aggressive yeah. dogs. <laughs> yeah. And one of them lies down and exposes its tummy. Right. That's what this looks like. Somebody out there has decided, okay, let's let them think their sidewinders are effective. That way when we land... They won't shoot us when we emerge from the damn ship. Huh. Okay. Got to think outside the box. Anyway, I, I my guest this morning, that. my first guest is Robert Stanley. Robert's going to hang around. When we come back, we're going to be talking with Steve Bassett, who is our man in Washington, even though he is very peripatetic and he wanders around all over the place. And he is on the West Coast, I believe, tonight. Uh, I believe he's connected. I see his smiling face. And he's got some news from the inside. So, without further ado, we will go to Stephen when The Other Side of Midnight with your host, Richard C. Hoagland, returns. Thanks for listening to this exciting first hour. Now, the second and third hour of the show is available to Club 19.5 members only. Please support the show by subscribing to Club 19.5 and join our very interesting community. To do that, please visit the website, theothersideofmidnight.com, and click on the Join Club 19.5 link in the left-hand column. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll gain access to the rest of this show and all previous 350-plus shows that we have done. Now, recent Club 19.5 member archive recording have the commercials removed, 
and the sound quality has been enhanced. You'll also receive a dedicated private podcast feed that contains these enhanced show recordings. And you'll be able to download the MP3 files directly from the archive if you prefer. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll also be the first to preview our new videos and reports. We'll be adding exclusive new features to Club 19.5 as we go forward. And boy, have we got some amazing things to tell you about in the coming weeks. So please support the show and don't miss all the exciting new things we have planned. I want to thank all our Club 19.5 members because without your guys' support, this show would not be on the air. Please help us continue growing the show by subscribing to Club 19.5 today. And when I say we really need you, we really need you. Over and out.